Welcome to the podcast for New Philadelphia Nazarene. We're so glad you chose to join us today, and we hope that today's message will be an encouragement to you in your walk with the Lord. For more information about the ministries of New Philadelphia Nazarene, please visit us on the web at www.npnaz.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, we hope today's message is an encouragement for you, and we hope to connect with you in the future. God bless. I gotta, I gotta admit to you guys this morning, I'm just kind of like all just excited about today. Uh, I, I've, uh, I was sitting over there uh, this morning as, as the band was leading in worship, and I was like, I had this, this nervous energy about me, but I think it's a good thing. I, every year about this time, I'll take, I'll take some time, and typically we do it on a Sunday evening, and I will share with all of you the state of, of the church, the state of our church. And for those of you who, who don't, maybe have never been to one of those or never seen how that happens, it's, it's essentially an update on the life and the health of our church from the year that has just concluded, and it's also a chance for us to, to look ahead. Now, I had planned to do this at the beginning of May uh, before our world was flipped, turned upside down. Yes, that is yet another Fresh Prince umbrella reference for all my Gen Xers out there. I had planned to do this in May, the first part of May, and today was actually supposed to be our Faith Promise Sunday. We had Dr. David Wesley coming uh, from Kansas City, and he was going to be here to share with us, and, and, and things just changed. And so it, it felt right for me to kind of pause at this point in our James teaching series in some ways and, and to share with you this morning these things. But before I go too deep into that, I want to begin by reading for you the next portion uh, from, our, from our study in James that, that we're going to be looking at because we're going to use that as the foundation for what I want to share with you today. Now, for the, for the past few weeks, we've been working our way through, through the book of James. Uh, James' book is just an absolutely incredible book. Uh, James, you know, was the, the brother of Jesus and and I hope that, that you have been studying this book the way that we've been studying. I hope that what we've been talking about in our Sunday morning teaching and, and maybe you listen to our midweek podcast and maybe some of that stuff has been challenging you, has been encouraging you. Today's passage from James is kind of a tough passage. Most of James is kind of a tough passage, if I'm being honest. But this passage from James, kind of a, a tough passage in particular, because it really calls the Christ follower onto the carpet. And it demands some sort of response. I'm going to be reading in James chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 14. And you'll see it on the screen uh, right here next to me. I'm going to turn this just a little bit. And this is what it says. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, eat well. I just had a Princess Bide reference in my head. Most like to kill you in the morning. Uh, but then you, you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough, James says. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? 
I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith. You believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and she sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. It is my pleasure to report to you today that the state of this church, of this fellowship, is strong. Now, nearly four years ago, when I answered the call to come and lead this fellowship, I would have never imagined that I would find myself in this particular position today, preaching to you for the 11th time through a camera while you sit at home. The running joke, which you have probably heard me say and you've probably heard from others, is that there was no class in seminary on how to pastor during a pandemic. There were no classes on preaching to an essentially empty room. There was no practical application for ministering when you almost never come into personal contact with the people in your church, yet here we are. And we have just finished another year in the second century of the life of New Philadelphia Nazarene. And not only is the church strong, we are stronger than we were on our last Sunday together, March 8th of 2020. Over the course of the past year, we have continued to see some, some incredible things happening in the life and ministry of our church. And it's because of the faithfulness and the generosity and the dedication of you that we have remained steady, we have remained stable, and we have seen our roots go deeper. On the less important but worth celebrating side of things, we completed a project that we had discussed for years before I even arrived. The incredible remodel and the expansion of our main foyer was a labor of love that was only accomplished because of the sacrificial giving of time and resources from this body. This beautiful addition to our campus was a much-needed change that created a new and very usable space for fellowship before and after our services and for other events. And when this incredible work that we just completed is paired with the work that was completed through our heritage project spanning almost the entirety of our campus, each portion of our campus has become more usable, more versatile, more, versatile, more up-to-date, it's more visually appealing. And then on March 15th of this year, we stopped meeting here. Because of something that none of us had ever dealt with or seen or maybe even anticipated in our lifetime, we were left with the necessary decision to 
stop having corporate gatherings, gatherings to shut down the campus, to, to shutter our doors. It was about a week or two after we had closed. I remember walking through the newly remodeled foyer, and I was just kind of taking it all in and looking at it once again, because at that point it was still fairly new, fairly fresh. It's a beautiful space. And as I was taking it in, I could not shake the feeling that while the remodeling of our foyer, just like the remodeling of our worship space and the remodeling of our children's wing and our gymnasium, all of those things were truly meaningless when it came to the state of the church of Jesus Christ. We are called to be good stewards of all that God has blessed us with. We are called to take care of, and that means that we need to keep things in good working order. The facilities that we have, that, that historically we have conducted ministry year after year after year, but I'm just convinced that it is not the most important thing. And I can tell you why. For 11 weeks now, the heartbeat of this church has beat louder, it has beat stronger, and it has beat faster than I have experienced, and almost all of you who are listening and watching today's service have not set foot on this piece of real estate the entire period of time. Our beautiful building, our brand new foyer, just today, based upon that definition, my report to you is simply this. The state of the church is strong, but it must get stronger. Look again with me at what James says from our passage today, starting with verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose, James says, you see a brother or a sister who has no food or, or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, most like to kill you in the morning. I added that, that's not actually in James, it's a Princess Bride reference. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. James' primary focus for this text is on the necessity of caring for those who are in need, a brother or a sister who is without clothes and, and daily food. And when James refers to our deeds, he's specifically pointing to how we show acts of mercy. He's specifically pointing to how we care for those who have been marginalized in our world. And it goes right along with all the things that James has been saying up until this point. Our faith in Jesus Christ must produce something in us. There must be an outcome, there, uh, something that's tangible that James points to right here in our text is how we care for those who are in need. I don't know if you can relate to this, but there have been several times over the years and I've taken a vacation just simply to stay at home. We call them staycations. And more often than not, I, I, I kind of, as I'm preparing to take the vacation, I think about all the things that I am going to do. 
You know, sometimes I'll grab a couple of extra books from the office and I'll bring them with me home because I'm going to read these books and I'll make a list of things that, projects that I want to get done around the house. Maybe I have some creative things that I've been, that have been kind of stirring in my mind. I think I'm going to do these things. And so I have all these ideas and all these thoughts that I'm going to uh, live into during my staycation. And so the first day of that staycation begins and I decide that, you know, since it's a vacation, I'm going to sleep in just a bit. So I wake up kind of late, and, and, and true to form with me, if I wake up late, I almost always have a headache, and that just really sets the tone for the entire day. So then I begin to battle this headache, and I, and I eat meals, and I'm just not feeling well, and there's things I want to do, but I just don't feel great. Man, I wish I hadn't slept in so late. Next thing I know, day one is gone. And so day two comes, and this time I don't sleep in, but I get distracted by something I've seen on the television and so I think, I'll just sit down and watch just a little bit here. It's just vacation. And so I begin day two in front of the television. Next thing I know, it's midday. I've wasted half my day. Now I don't even have time to begin the project that I wanted to begin in the first place. And I probably have a headache because I watch TV all morning long. Day after day, it's some variation of not accomplishing what I had decided I would do from the very beginning until that last day of vacation finally comes and I... And I'm thinking now about going back to work. And I realize I didn't gain any ground. I didn't get the things done that I wanted to do. For the past couple of months, some of us have been on a vacation of sorts. Perhaps not the, the same kind of vacation that I just described, but what was once your norm has been upended and, and we find ourselves navigating a new way of living our lives. For most of us, we have been given the gift of time. Let me ask you, what have you done with your time? I know because I have heard it and I have seen it, there is a new level of spiritual awareness and spiritual seeking that's going on in our world right now. There's a sensitivity to God that we have not had in some time. There are people who are seeking. There are people who are hungry, who are asking questions. What have you done with your time? When I say that the state of the church is strong, I mean it. Many of you have shown very practically what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The generosity of our people has been absolutely incredible. The care that you have provided for one another and for some outside of our fellowship has been moving. It truly has. Every time I hear a story, every time I hear a report, my heart is warm, my spirits are lifted. And just in just the past couple of months, because the state of the church is strong, we have been able to give away thousands of dollars to both organizations and to individuals and to families around our area, organizations that are actively involved and engaged in acts of mercy. And we ourselves have been actively engaged in acts of mercy if you have, as you have given money, if you have, as you have donated goods. But what have you done with your time? I had a conversation with a friend yesterday and he lamented to me something that had been on my heart as well, but he expressed it better than I had been able to. And he simply said this, what I have not seen is a deepening hunger for Jesus. 
I'm going to ask you again. What have you done with your time? When I say that the state of the church is strong and there is clear evidence that points to this, I also say that the church must be stronger. And and I'm not referring to our financial situation or our numerical situation. This year, we came just short of our projected budget for tithes and offerings, but in that process, we raised 6% more than we spent. We're in the black. (laughs) Praise God. While we didn't meet our faith promise giving goal of $63,000, we raised just over $60,000, which was $15,000 more than we even had to pay into the World Mission Fund, which gave us excess funds to do local mission work. Praise God! Our people have been faithful, and God has been faithful in turn. The commitment that we have made as a church to give generously to whatever God lays on our heart has allowed us as a church to tangibly see the promise of God that says you can never outgive him. When I say that the church must be stronger, I'm not referring to the care of our facilities or the growth of our programs or our ministries. I'm not referring to adding more things to our calendar of events and to our schedules. The state of the church must be stronger, meaning there must be a deepening hunger in the lives of each and every one of us that cries out for the presence of God and that hungers and yearns for more of Jesus. James says in verse 19 of chapter 2, you say you have faith, you believe that there is one God, great. Great. Most of us would. We would say, yes, I have faith. I believe in God. I believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And James says, that's fantastic. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror because of it. But he goes on. He says this, your faith without works is dead. So what what are our works? I submit to you this morning that it is not just the good things that we do. I submit to you that it is not just our religious activities. These things have their place. They're very important. They are part of what it means to be a part of the church. They are part of what it means for us to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But church, listen to me this morning. The greatest work in us that is produced by our faith in God is our passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. It is our unending desire and our painful hunger for the presence of God in our midst, not just when we are in our houses of worship, but in every day of our lives. It is our recognition that you and I are created to reflect the righteousness of God and our daily battle against the desires of the flesh that can only be won when we give all that we are and all that we have to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Church, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe that we are on the doorsteps of revival. And I'm not talking about a revival that lasts for a few nights. It makes us feel all warm and bubbly inside. And then we get all hopped up on Jesus for a few months until something happens. I'm talking about the kind of revival that my friend and 
fellow pastor talked about a couple of months ago when all of this began to unfold. And I believe they were prophetic words for the church. I believe they are prophetic words for our church. And this is what he said. We are witnessing the death of Sunday morning only Christianity. And this is a great thing. He says we need to slow down and begin to hear the whisper of the Lord inviting us into a life of moment-by-moment devotion to Him. Listen, church, that's holiness. That is the kind of relationship that God has called you into through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. He goes on. He says, when this thing turns around, and it will, we will begin meeting together again corporately. But it will be different. It must be different. Now hear what he says this and hear when I say it. I'm not talking about how our seats are laid out. I'm not talking about whether or not we have coffee. I'm not talking about whether we have children's church or don't have children's church. That's not what must be different. What must be different is us. What must be different is our expectation. What must be different is how we anticipate being in this place and being together. I know and I understand. It's completely understandable that there is a desire that rests in the heart of most of us who simply want things to go back to normal. And I get it, I truly, but let me tell you something. As your pastor, I do not. I don't want things to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to the way things were before. I want there to be a new fire released on this church. I want there to be a new passion. I want there to be a fresh anointing. My friend continues, we will begin to see an unprecedented release of the Holy Spirit among us because we have each learned how to fan the flames we have received Monday through Saturday. Let me ask you again, what have you done with your time. Are you fanning the flames of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or are you fanning the flames of, of conspiracy theory <laughs> and political strife? Are you fanning the flames of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you fanning the flames of your, of your next wood project or of your next painting? Don't misunderstand me. Having self-care in your life is so vitally important. This means taking time to rest. It means taking time to have fun, to, to be with your family, to, to go out on your boat and to go camping, to watch a movie, to read a book, even to take a nap. All of these things have their place and they are a part of our lives. But my friends, if you have filled your vacation from normalcy with those things, and you have neglected to get to know Jesus better, you have missed out. The church must be stronger. And I believe, as my friend believes, that if we will fan the flames of the Holy Spirit, we will see the third great awakening. He says, we will see people born again. We will see people set free. We will see the sick healed. We will see signs and wonders. We will see nations come to Christ. We will see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth, earth as the waters cover the sea. 
But it all begins when we respond to the whisper. The whisper of God that invites us into a life of moment-by-moment devotion to him. The state of the church is strong. But it must be stronger. Over the past couple of months, I've seen incredible things happen as a result of the people of this church. Many lives have been touched in tangible ways. We've lived out our mission of guiding the unloved into the loving embrace of Jesus. We have demonstrated time after time after time no strings attached compassion. But those things are meaningless if our hearts are not in the right place. You see, the sacrifices that we make have no eternal impact if our lives are not demonstrating the righteousness of God. This is what the proverb says. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. You see, sometimes we do all of the right things. We say all of the right things, and to people around us, we appear to have it all together, but deep inside of us, below, below the religious service, below surface, below the religious, the Jesus mask, it's wickedness. And this comes out of us in our bitterness and our anger and the gossip that we engage in and the judgmental tone that we have in our arrogance in our worry and in our anxiety. And all of these things are contrary to the character of God. And so what happens is our sacrifices, ones that have all of the right appearances, the Proverbs tell us, are detested by God. But God delights in the prayers of the upright. And when the Bible talks about being upright, it's an indication of being in the right place spiritually, being in the right relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, just a little bit earlier in the book of Proverbs, being upright is placed on the same level as being blameless. This is holiness. This is righteousness. What I want you to hear this morning is this. We can give all kinds of money. We can serve in our community. We can come to church. We can put religious things on our Facebook page and on our Instagram. We can send out cards. But if at the root of who we are, we find wickedness, those things become worthless. Because it is not our works that punch the ticket. Just like it is not our faith that punches the ticket. It is when what we believe and the character of who we are lines up with the things that we do and the apportionment of our time that we begin to see the picture that James is posing for us today. Look what he says here in the last verse. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Church, we are the body of Christ, and the breath that fills the lungs of the body of Christ is the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God is coursing through the body of Christ, it is filled with power and authority. Here's what I want you to know this morning. We are coming back. We will meet in this place together again.
and very soon. Consecrate yourselves to God. My prayer for you is that you would not look back over these past couple of months and say, man, I missed it. I missed it. So don't waste a single moment. I want you to be able to answer the question at the end of it all, what did you do with your time? By saying, I pursued Jesus. There are seasons in our life when what is necessary to to, to get the juices flowing, we have to make some purposeful and some disciplined decisions. So don't waste the time that you have. Prepare your hearts. Pray fast and get in the word. Over the past year, one of the songs that has become so precious to our fellowship is the song Raise a Hallelujah. And it was born to us out of the midst of sorrow as we have watched a young life struggle and fight to live. And so we've joined with James and Emily and with John and Kristen, and we, and we have prayed and we have prayed. In the midst of all that, we raised a hallelujah because we believed in the sovereignty and the power and the authority of our living creator. But our ability to raise a hallelujah is not found in our physical strength. It is not found in our financial security. It is not found in our average weekly attendance. It is not found in the number of people who come to our small groups or come to our events. The ability of us as a church and for each of you as individuals to raise a hallelujah in the midst of whatever circumstances life throws at you and the enemy attacks you with is found solely in your faith in Jesus Christ that is met by the works demonstrated through your faith. It is the relationship, alive, moving, growing, that you have with Jesus. This is the only way you can raise a hallelujah. Church, we are strong. We are stronger than we were one year ago. We are stronger than we were two months ago. We are financially sound. We are moving forward in obedience to Christ. We are following the lead of the Holy Spirit. We have challenges ahead. But God is already beginning to open new doors. And he is already beginning to create new opportunities. Church, the state of the church is strong but it must get stronger. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Be sure and join us later this week for After Hours as we sit down and discuss this week's teaching. Find more information about the ministries of New Philadelphia Nazarene by visiting us on the web at npnaz.org or by finding us on your favorite social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.